Hi, I'm Stuart Barry. Thank you for joining us at The Thinking Traveller, a series that draws upon the passions, expertise and knowledge of Academy Travel's tour leaders, one topic at a time. Almost every town in Australia has a memorial or cenotaph remembering those who served and died in the Great War. From primary school, all Australian school children learn about the sacrifice of the first Anzacs at Gallipoli and, more recently, the massive losses on the Western Front in battles such as Fromel. However, it is sometimes surprising to learn that Australians have served and died in battles and wars that you would least expect them to have participated in. To tell us some of these amazing stories today, we are joined by Brad Minera. Brad is the Senior Historian and Curator of the Anzac Memorial in Hyde Park, Sydney. His career began at the West Australian Museum and has included foundation curatorial work for the National Museum of Australia, gallery development at the Australian War Memorial and the World Heritage Listing Submission of the Hyde Park Barracks Museum. A keen public historian, he has led battlefield tours around the world and featured in a range of documentaries. His latest book, In That Rich Earth, is a study of the battlefields on which men and women of New South Wales have served from colonial times to the present. We all know Australians are inveterate travellers. It almost seems like whenever something happens anywhere in the world, there's always an Australian caught up in it. But this is obviously not a new phenomenon. Brad, can you tell us a little bit about some of the more unusual stories of individuals being caught up in wars and battles around the world throughout history? Thanks, Stuart. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's fascinating when we, we imagine that travel is something of the late 20th and 21st century. But really, when we have a look back, and particularly at our military history, Australians crop up. You know, the first uh, uh, chap named Norfolk King was serving on HMS Active in the Dardanelles in 1809, you know, when the British were trying to dissuade the Turks from uh, siding with the French during the Napoleonic Wars. The Great Battle of Waterloo, the great, great battle of nations that uh, changed the course of 19th century history. There were three Australians there. One indeed was even born in the colony. Andrew Douglas White was the son of John White, the first fleet surgeon, born in 1795 in the colony. He trains as an engineer in, in Britain and he's serving at Waterloo. One of the officers of the 73rd Regiment, the regiment that Lachlan Macquarie had brought to New South Wales, was so dismayed, if you like, at being left behind as a career soldier. He wanted to be where the action was in Europe and he applied constantly to go from the 1st Battalion in New South Wales to the 2nd Battalion that was in Europe. Indeed, he got so frustrated that he got his mother to write to the Prince of Wales. And part of her letter read, May I as a mother be permitted to inquire of your Royal Highness what my son has done, now undergoing banishment, to take care of thieves. And as a result of mum's nagging, he and his batman were transferred from Sydney to the 2nd Battalion of the 73rd in Belgium. And he died of wounds at the Battle of Waterloo. Uh, his, his batman was killed in action. Both of them are buried on that extraordinary paddock just south of Brussels. Gee, thanks, Mum, for <laughs> writing the letter. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, you know, the Battle of Waterloo, people know where, where that place is. And uh, there were Australians there. And, you know, we look at the Crimea. You know, tragically a place of conflict this very day. And yet there are Australians in the Crimean War of 1854 to 1856. One of the first sailors to earn the Victoria Cross at the Battle of Inkerman is buried at the Norton Street Cemetery in Leichhardt. He ended up running a boys' reformatory school on Cockatoo Island in Sydney Harbour. 
the recent war that's ended in Afghanistan. Well, the, the first New South Welshman killed in action at Afghanistan was a young man from Glebe who joined the 66th, the Berkshire Regiment, uh, one of his father's old regiments, and had deployed to Afghanistan. And he was one of the last 11 to die as the Berkshires made their last stand at the Battle of Maiwand on the 27th of July, 1880. So, you know, Afghanistan, nobody wins in that, uh, in that part of the world. But there was a, a bloke from New South Wales there. A year earlier, a young man from South Australia, Edgar Anstey, had been serving with the 24th Regiment, the famous British regiment that was wiped out at the Battle of Isandlwana against the Zulus. You know, the battle that preceded the great defence of Rourke's Drift that Michael Caine and Stanley Baker made famous in 1964. The list goes on and on. Um, Australia sent, indeed New South Wales sent, 770 men to the Sudan in 1885. There's a memorial at Kiama to Robert Weir, the first person wearing a New South Wales uniform to die on active service. His body tragically is buried in the Sudan, but there's a memorial to him in that quaint little cemetery on just this side of Kiama. Just to clarify, because obviously when we use the term Australians, Australia didn't really exist until 1900. So we are talking about New South Welshmen, Victorians, South Australians. You're absolutely right. I mean, these people are... Growing up in British colonies in Australia, they saw themselves as Britons. You know, when the 57th Regiment came to New South Wales after serving in the Crimea, the people of Sydney put a banner across what's now Circular Quay that said, Welcome Home. These people felt that they were as much citizens of the British Empire as if they were living in London or Manchester or Birmingham. They had the right to welcome a British regiment home by coming to New South Wales. So you're absolutely right. I mean, these people saw themselves as transported Brits, but they did identify as Australians. Um, they, you know, so they had this kind of split personality. They wanted to say, yes, we're British, but we're just that little bit better. The volunteer units in Australia in the colony of New South Wales, made sure they were wearing a Waratah. The first Western Australians to deploy to South Africa in 1899 were wearing a black swan. Indeed, we know of two of them that had black swans tattooed on their bodies. They were so proud of saying, yes, we're serving in a British imperial war, but we are Western Australians. So, you know, this, this notion of being part of an empire is a really strong identity. I'm fascinated by characters like John Alec Bond from the Illawarra, who is a Ewan man, a stockman, a very gifted horseman, but an Illawarra Aboriginal man who joined the first Australian volunteer horse and served in South Africa in 1899 and 1900 and was very much admired by his soldiers. How does he see himself as part of the British Empire? But clearly he did. These are great characters. So obviously these are all pre-1900, and we're all very much aware of the First World War, the Great War, there's obviously a lot more unexpected places for Australians to pop up, even during the Second World War. That's right. And Australia obviously sent its own soldiers, sailors, aviators to both world wars. But there were also a large number of Australians that also served with the Brits, or indeed were members of the Australian forces who were serving on British ships or in British aircraft. We had an Empire Air Training Scheme that provided Australians in the air war over Europe. We had Australian sailors, but not enough ships to keep them on. And so you get people like Richard Pirrie, known as Digger to his, his British crewmen, 
who was commanding a landing barge at D-Day. So he's one of 400 known Australian sailors who were on British warships, leading men in the great amphibious operation of all time, the D-Day landings in Normandy. In Perry's case, tragically, he was killed. He was, he was killed at the landings at Gold Beach and uh, his body was not recovered and so he's remembered on the Sailor's Memorial at Portsmouth. You know, a great character. He played football in the ruck for Hawthorne. We know of the valour of the first AIF, but there was also a large number of Australians who served in other forces during the Great War. And uh, when we were talking about the Victoria Crosses awarded to Australians uh, at Gallipoli, we think about those that fought at Lone Pine or at Hill 60 or Albert Jacker, the first member of the AIF to be awarded the Victoria Cross during the Turkish counteroffensive on the 19th of May at Anzac. We forget about a bloke named Dallas Moore, who was serving with the British Army down at Cape Hellas. And extraordinarily, the recommendation for his Victoria Cross was for shooting his own men. This man is a teenager who goes to Britain, goes through the Sandhurst process, ends up with a British unit, but he's born and raised in St Kilda. And uh, so, you know, he's a Victorian by birth. He, without a doubt, he's probably grown up at the footy. And then he, there he is in Britain, joins the British Army when the war breaks out and ends up in the British units that were fighting at the tip of the peninsula. And when the Turks launched an offensive near Gully Ravine, the British unit in front of Moore's men collapsed, fled down with their weapons and were running uh, running from the, the Turkish offensive. Moore, this teenage boy, draws his revolver, tries to stop these men from running. He can't stop them. He shoots at least two and possibly four of the British soldiers. That shocks those that are, are running, focuses them, obviously, and uh, he gets them to turn around and then with his own men, they recapture the position that the Turks had driven them from. It's a remarkable Victoria Cross. Tragically, Dallas Moore never got to return to St Kilda because he earned a military cross on the Western Front but was killed in action before the end of the Great War. He's buried on the Western Front. Do we have any knowledge of who actually was the first Australian to have died in the First World War? I think we're pretty convinced that it was a young Australian from Sydney named Malcolm Chisholm. He was an officer, a platoon commander in a British regiment, a battalion of a British regiment that was one of the first to cross the channel and try and resist the German invasion that was coming through Belgium in August 1914. Malcolm Chisholm was badly wounded, mortally wounded, in the fighting around Le Cateau in Belgium around the 24th to the 26th of August 1914. These are the first and second days of his arrival in France, of his unit going into action. And he fought with a rifle, holding back the Germans so that the men in his platoon could fall back. A local priest found him and dragged him into the, the chapel where, tragically, he, he died of his wounds. His effects in Britain were sent back to Sydney Grammar School. Oh, he was a Sydney Grammar student, was he? He was a Sydney Grammar boy, yeah. In right, mm. yeah. And is it true that the Anzac War Memorial in Hyde Park actually has his rifle? When Malcolm Chisholm achieved 
distinctions as being a champion shot amongst Sydney schoolboy cadets, his uncle bought him a brand new service rifle, a short magazine Lee Enfield 303 with a silver plaque on the butt that uh, congratulated him for his skill at shooting. Can you imagine uh, buying a teenager uh, a brand new service rifle today and uh, so anyway he took it with him when he went to to Britain to serve in the British Army he didn't have it with him in Belgium when he was killed and so when his effects were sent back to Australia back to Sydney Grammar School the rifle was presented to Sydney Grammar and they've loaned it on long-term loan to the Anzac Memorial in Hyde Park. Well that's something worth going to see. Please come and visit us. And there's some Australians buried in a Commonwealth War Cemetery in Berlin I understand. Oh look there are Australians in in Commonwealth War Cemeteries all over Europe tragically particularly as I mentioned the Australians who are part of the Empire Air Training Scheme who were part of the these bomber crews that were trying to destroy German industry by dropping high explosives from heavy bombers. They'd take off from England, they'd fly over Europe and they'd try and wipe out the German industrial heart in the Ruhr. German defences were very, very strong, absolutely dedicated. They were fighting for their homeland. And so a large number of those air crews made the supreme sacrifice and tragically a large number of them were Australians and so you find them in Commonwealth War Cemeteries. I guess the example I was reading about recently was a young man named Frank Mathers, 21-year-old kid from Pagewood in Sydney who was the captain of a Lancaster. In fact, I'm sorry, he was captain of a Halifax on an operation in June of 1943. Uh, They were bombing the Ruhr and they dropped their bombs flew into an enormous amount of flak that the Germans threw up. The aircraft was hit. Three of the four petrol tanks were holed. Two of them emptied immediately. The starboard outer engine was blown away. The aircraft was hit a second time. The port inner engine was gone. This aircraft was falling out of the sky. Turned for home. It completed its bomb run, uh, but it's, it's losing height all the way. Young Frank Mathers is telling his crew that's come from all over the empire to try and lighten the aircraft. They're down to under a 1,000 feet by the time they get to the channel. Suddenly, out of the dawn comes a Messerschmitt 110, sweeps past the aircraft, sees that this aeroplane is falling to pieces in the sky, and so it thinks, I've got an easy kill here. Strafes the aircraft, shoots it up, but it doesn't fall. Frank's still at the controls, trying to keep this aircraft in the air. He's losing. The ailerons are gone. Uh, Two of his four engines are gone. He's got flying on vapour. But the Messerschmitt 110 lines up on the rear of the aircraft, comes to within a few hundred metres. He's absolutely sure of the kill. And the rear gunner, a chap named George Speedy, swings the guns in the rear turret around and shoots that Messerschmitt 110 out of the sky, its last seen plummeting into the channel, a trailing smoke. So they survive but they're down to about 400 feet by the time they cross the English coast. Too low for the crew to bail out. So Mathers tells his people, we're going to try and land. At that stage, his flight engineer informs him that their undercarriage has been shot away. So he's got to bring this bomber weighing several tonnes down on two engines, shot to pieces on its belly. So the crew braces and he makes a copybook, copybook belly landing. They all survive. And in an England that's still suffering from rationing and the Blitz, this is a great heroic good news story. So the BBC grabs him, puts him on the radio, and he recounts the story. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful story about survival, about courage. He goes back on operations. He's awarded 
the Conspicuous Gallantry Medal, one of only 10 awarded to the Royal Australian Air Force during the Second World War. Uh, But nine weeks later, he and his crew are shot down and killed. Entire crew killed on a raid going back to their same target. Initially, the locals recover their bodies and bury them in a local churchyard. The end of the war, of course, Germany's divided between the Russians, the British, the French and the Americans. And so the bodies are then recovered from these local churchyards and buried in concentration cemeteries. Some go to Berlin, some go to a whole range of cemeteries. Uh, Ma and his men travel quite a long way from where they were actually shot down and they're buried at Dernbach, just south of Munich, because the Americans said it is safer to bury them in the American zone, in the divided Germany. So that extraordinary young man from Pagewood never made it back to Sydney and he and his mates lie in a cemetery just south of Munich. I was a little bit surprised because you were telling me earlier on there was actually someone, an Australian, fighting at the Battle of Gettysburg. Exactly. I'm what, sorry. I'm sorry. What, what was an Australian doing over in the middle of the American Civil War? Gettysburg is an extraordinary space. The, 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 the battle that changed the course of the war between the states, and it's now a national park dotted with monuments, none of them mention 18-year-old Willie Mitchell from Tasmania. Willie Mitchell's dad, John Mitchell, was a member of the Young Irish, Young Ireland Republican movement and was convicted and transported to Bermuda. He was married with three kids. Wife and three kids stayed behind in Ireland. He was initially transported to Bermuda and then re-transported as a political exile to Van Diemen's Land. And so he's living in Van Diemen's Land and applies for his family to join him. And so his youngest son, Willie, hadn't turned four years of age when he arrived with the family in Van Diemen's Land. So he spends a great deal of his childhood growing up in what we now know as Tasmania. His dad decides, I've had enough of being a prisoner of the crown, and so he escapes to America. He's a newspaper journalist. There's a lot of Irishmen from New York to the, to the southern states. He chooses initially to travel around the United States, eventually gets a job publishing a newspaper in Richmond, sends for his family, and so they come from Tasmania to the United States and they're living in Richmond, Virginia. When the war between the states breaks out, three of his sons by this stage who have been raised in Tasmania join the Confederate forces. His eldest son, also John Mitchell, is commissioned into the South Carolina artillery and is killed in an exploding mortar incident at Fort Sumter. But his youngest son, young Willie, dies in action at Gettysburg. He's carrying the colours of the 1st Virginian Infantry Regiment across the stone wall during the great charge that marked the highlight of the battle, Pickett's Charge, the last attempt by the Confederacy to break the Union line. And there's an 18-year-old kid from Tassie carrying the company colours as they cross the wall and he's shot to death as he climbs over the wall against the Union lines at Gettysburg. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. What would have to be the most bizarre battle that an Australian that you know of has been involved in? Look, I think it's got to be a San Luana. I mean, it's a remarkable battlefield when you go to that site and you can see where... The British were not expecting to be attacked. So when 20,000 Zulus turned up on the ridgeline to their north and east, the British force that had been left behind in the camp numbered less than 3,000. Companies deployed. They had no interlocking fields of fire. They died where they stood. And you can see when you stand on the field 
when the British returned, the ground was too hard to bury their soldiers. So they clustered the bodies and built cairns of stones. What do unemployed British soldiers do? They paint the stones white. So you've got these white cairns of stones where each of the companies died and you can see the cairns getting smaller and closer together as those units are getting wiped out. They're losing soldiers and they're falling back on their mates until there's one or two of those little clusters scattered heading south to the river trying to get back into British Natal. And it's in one of those clusters that marks the spot where... 24-year-old Edgar Anstey from Adelaide and the last members of the 24th stood back to back, ran out of ammunition and were overwhelmed. That's amazing. That's amazing. So what, what year was that? That was, uh, that, was, that was on the 22nd of January, 1879. But then got remarkable places we recovered. See, we have memorials in Australia because until the mid-1960s, we buried our war dead overseas where they fell or in concentration cemeteries. So of the 102,800 Australians who have died on active service since the 1880s, all but a few hundred of them lie beneath foreign fields. And that's why our travel today almost takes on a, a pilgrimage aspect when we go to places like Waterloo, when we go to places like Normandy or the battlefields on the Somme or around the Ypres salient in Belgium, where you can go to where these people fought and you can go to where they're buried because they didn't come home. It's a a really important way to demonstrate that we still value those attributes of courage, endurance and sacrifice. And by travelling to those places, we are recognising their service that has built the Australia that we're living in today. Brad, that's absolutely fantastic. Thank you so very much for coming in today. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, Stuart. Thank you. Thank you for joining us at The Thinking Traveller, brought to you by Academy Travel, a leader in small group cultural tours. Visit our website at academytravel.com.au to access blog articles or join our online program of lectures and short courses brought to you by experts around the world.